You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. We're going to finish up tonight the passage of Scripture that we started on Sunday morning. We're looking at chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, and we looked at the presentation of the angels and the proclamation of the angels uh, to these shepherds out in their fields. And the presentation of the angels was accompanied with the revelation of the glory of God, which shone around them, and this terrified the shepherds. And they were uh, they were terribly afraid, Scripture says, and the angels had to comfort them. And that brings us brought us to the proclamation of the angels, where... The angel said to them today, for to you in the city of David has been born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And now we come to the praise of the angels. Now, those two elements, the presentation, the, the glory, the revelation of that glory, and the proclamation of the angels makes the, makes the birth of Jesus Christ singularly different than any other human being who has ever been born. Caesar Augustus, who was Caesar at the time, his birth was not accompanied by anything like this. No prophet, no priest, no rabbi, no leader, no teacher, nobody who had ever been born had their birth accompanied by such angelic and heavenly activity as the birth of Jesus Christ in the little nondescript town of Bethlehem. So those two elements themselves make this birth different than any other birth. But the the revelation of the angels and what God was doing and showing forth His glory was not done at the end of verse 12. We come now to the praise of the angels in verses 13 and 14. We'll read that together. Verse 13, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom He is pleased. Now that is a familiar passage, probably one that is on a lot of Christmas cards and uh, a lot of Christmas stationery that you have received. You're going to see it a lot. But probably the wording of that verse that you would be most familiar with would be the King James translation of that verse, which says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, depending on what translation you're reading, it's going to read a little bit differently, and I'm going to show you in a moment why that is and why that is significant. People who are not at all constrained by the biblical text will sometimes use these verses and the words of these angels in a way that the angels never intended for these words to be used. And we're going to, I'm going to talk about what that is. So look at verse 13. First of all, when the angels showed up. Again, it is sudden, verse 13, suddenly there appeared with, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Now, if you go up to verse 9, that's when the angel of the Lord appeared suddenly and stood before them. So there was one angel to begin with. Now, after the angels have announced the birth of the Savior, now there is a multitude of angels, Luke says. And this happened suddenly. Now, if you think that the appearance of one angel to those shepherds with the glory of God would have struck fear into their heart, and it did, Can you imagine what would have happened, what their response would have been if all of those angels had appeared initially instead of just the one? One angel in the glory of God was enough to make them so afraid. They they were terrified at what they saw. Imagine if all of those angels, the multitude of those angels had shown up all at one time initially. The first angel showed up and he calmed down the shepherds by saying, we bring good news, not bad news, but good news, not news of judgment, but news of salvation. And once the shepherds had calmed down and heard that the message that they were bringing was a message of good news, then a multitude of angels showed up. How many angels? Scripture doesn't say. Scripture does say that there are millions upon millions of angels. The word is myriads. 
ten thousands upon ten thousands of angels, we would expect that if God has created billions of human beings, He would have created also millions, maybe even billions of angels. Did these shepherds see all of the angelic hosts? I don't think so, but I think they saw a lot. Thousands, maybe ten thousands. And the word that's used there is the word host. And it says they saw a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. And that word host is actually the word that is sometimes translated army. And there's a bit of a sort of a paradoxical element here. An army from God, an army of angels shows up to announce terms of peace. And that's a bit of an ironic thing. An army shows up to announce there is peace. Now the question is, what is this peace? And how do we gain this peace? And what does the angel mean when he says, what does the host of angels mean when they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased? Now depending on the translation that you hold in your lap, that verse is going to read just a little bit differently. The King James, as I said, the King James says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace Sorry, and, uh, sorry. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, comma, goodwill toward men. The ESV and the NASB read very similarly. The NASB says, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom He is pleased." Now it's quite different, isn't it? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men, or peace on earth among men with whom He, that is God, is pleased. Those are two kind of radically different translations, at least sounding at first. Whether you use a newer translation or older translation, you're going to get to the same place as long as we understand what the peace is that is being spoken of here and what this goodwill or favor is that the angels are speaking of. What is the peace and what is the goodwill or the favor toward men or among men? So let's be asked, let's answer those two questions. What is the peace that the angels are speaking of? When they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men. Or as King James says, peace on earth. What is that peace? Sometimes that verse has been used to, to speak of, and I think wrongly so, I know wrongly so, to speak of peace between men or among men, as in between nations. So sometimes the verse is quoted as in this regard, in this way. What the angel is announcing is that there is now going to be peace between nations. And that's what Christmas time is all about. Christmas time is all about nations laying aside their arms, nations laying aside their weapons of warfare, and can't we all just get along? Can't we all just come together? Can't we all just have harmony? If we could cut some sort of a peace accord between the Palestinians and the Israelis, what better day to do it than on Christmas Day? That would be the, the perfect day to do it. Between Friday of Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving, and the first of the new year, we are supposed to have this season of peace among men. And we shouldn't be warring with one another, nations against nations. Is that what the angel's describing? Sometimes the verse has been used to describe the peace that should exist between individuals, not just amongst nations, between nations, but between individuals, so that I should have peace with you, and you should have peace with me, and I should express goodwill toward you, so that you would express goodwill toward me, and if I express goodwill toward you, and you express goodwill toward me, we will have peace. You see how that works? And so this is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about families getting together, and there should be no bickering. There should be no disharmony. There should be no fighting and infighting between people within the families. We need peace. So if you want peace in your home, you need to express goodwill toward each other and don't invite the in-laws. And then you can have peace between individuals in the home. That's what Christmas is all about. Just having peace, the cessation of hostilities. But that's not what the angels are describing. What is the peace that the angels are describing? It's not a peace between nations. It's not a peace between men or individuals. The peace that the angel is describing has, has to be 
has to be understood in terms of what the angels have already announced. Today there has been born for you in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. What did Christ come to save us from? Did Christ come to save us from national hostilities? From interpersonal bickering in the office and the family over Christmas dinner? Is that what Christ came to save us from? Did Christ come to deliver us from our, our animosity toward one another? No. Christ didn't come to deliver us from that. He came to deliver us from the wrath of God. Today there has been born for you in the city of David a Savior. What does Christ save us from? He saves us from our sins. That's what the angel said to Joseph. You will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what Christ came to deliver us from. It's a sin problem that we have. Man's most fundamental problem was not that we war against each other, and man's most fundamental problem is not that we fight one with another, either between individuals or between nations. Man's most fundamental problem is that we are at war with God. And men who are at war with God will fight with one another. And the only way that there could possibly be world peace is if the gospel were to rule and reign and bring individuals into peace with God. When a man is at peace with God and he is reconciled to God, then he can be reconciled to his neighbor. But what good does it do if men cease their hostilities with one another? And what good does it do if all nations cease their hostilities with one another if all those men die in a state of world peace but at war with God? Does that do any good? No, our most fundamental problem is that we are hostile against God, at war with Him because sin has made us God's enemies. And Christ came to save us from the wrath of God. The peace that is being spoken of here is not peace between individuals. It is man having peace with God. As Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, we have peace with God through the blood of His cross. That's the peace that's being described here. It's the peace of salvation. So that those who have repented of their sin and trusted Christ for salvation, we no longer are at war against God. We no longer view Him as an enemy, and He no longer views us as His enemy, but instead we have been reconciled to God, and now I have peace with Him. And now I have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ and His cross. That's the peace that is being described here. So where does this peace exist? Does it exist between all individuals on the face of the earth? Does this peace exist between nations? How is this peace brought about? That is what the second question is designed to answer. What is this goodwill that is to exist between men? What is this men, or who are these men of his favor, or these men with whom God is pleased? And this is kind of the difference in the translations. The King James translates it, King James translates it, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Now that initially makes it sound as if the, the ideal is that we would express goodwill toward one another, and thus have peace. But that's not what the angels are describing. They're talking about peace between God and man, my peace with God, that I have, through the reconciling work of another, and who are, as the New King or the NASB translates it, who are these ones with whom God is pleased? Now it's a bit of an awkward thing to translate from the original language, and that's why you have the different translations. But the newer the newer translations sort of capture a meaning that the older translations, the King James included, kind of miss. There is not peace between, or sorry, there is not peace with God among all men. There is peace with God among whom? Men with whom God is pleased. Now how is God pleased with me if I am at war with Him? Is it possible for a sinner to work or to earn his salvation and to make God pleased with the sinner so that I can have peace with God? That's not what Luke is describing. Those who are at peace with God are those men with whom God is pleased or those men to whom God has shown goodwill or favor. 
And that's where the King James is trying to get at when it says goodwill toward men. It's not my goodwill toward you and your goodwill toward me. It is God's goodwill toward us who are in Christ, men and women with whom he is pleased, to whom he has shown favor, that have peace with God through the reconciling blood and work of Jesus Christ. So the peace among men is not peace between men. It is peace among men with whom God is pleased. I have peace with God through Christ. You, if you are in Christ, have peace with God through Christ. All of us, men and women, whom God has favored and loved and shown His goodwill and grace toward us, those are the ones who have peace in Christ. So now here's the question. Do you have peace with God? This is not describing peace between nations. It's not describing peace between persons. It's describing peace between the sinner and God. So do you have peace with God? Or are you still at war with Him? If you've never trusted Christ for salvation, you've never repented of your sin and believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then I'm here to tell you tonight, you are still at war with God. You are what the Bible describes an enemy of God in your mind through wicked works. Nobody deserves peace with God. Nobody deserves His goodwill or His favor. If we deserved it, it wouldn't be His goodwill or His favor or grace. It would be something that we have earned. And nobody deserves it. I don't deserve to be at peace with God. I was born at war with God. And I spent years warring against God. And I hated God. And I lied. And my conscience bore witness to the fact that I was a liar. I lied and I knew it was wrong. And my conscience told me it was wrong. And I knew that I violated God's law because I was a liar and I was a thief and I was a blasphemer and I was a luster and I was an adulterer at heart and I disobeyed my parents and I hated God and I, I hated the one true God. I didn't want to come to the light lest my deeds be exposed. And that's what Scripture says. I hated the light and those who are outside of Jesus Christ hate the light. You hate the light and you hate the truth and you are at war with God. So how do you get peace with God? How do you get at peace with God? To have peace with God, you must come to Him on His terms, not your own. You don't broker your own peace agreement. You don't determine the terms of your own peace agreement. You come to God on His terms, and His terms are repentance and faith. And this is where the message of salvation comes in, and this is why Jesus Christ came. God sent His Son, who was God in the human flesh, to come to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He suffered and He died on a Roman cross. He was bruised and broken for the sins of all who will believe upon Him. God poured out His wrath on His Son so He doesn't have to pour it out on you. You were a guilty sinner who deserved the judgment and justice of God, and instead God sent His Son to save sinners just like you. So here are the terms. God has provided a sacrifice which is sufficient to atone for and pay the price for your sins, but God says you must repent. That means turn from your sin, and you must place your faith and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you will not do that, and you were to die tonight, you would die as an enemy of God, and you would get exactly what enemies of God deserve. You would get what enemies of God deserve who have broken His law and violated His commandments and stand in hostility and enmity against Him. What do enemies of God deserve? What do the enemies of the King deserve? The enemies of the King deserve to be put to death. And the justice of God would call out for our blood because on every account we are guilty, guilty, guilty. But the good news is that in the city of David has been born for us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And by repenting of our sin and trusting in Jesus Christ, God will impute His righteousness to us and take our sins from us and they are laid upon Christ and paid for in full through His death, His burial, and His resurrection. So I beg with you tonight, if you do not know Christ, be reconciled to God through the death of His Son and become at peace with God so that you may join the chorus of the angels and sing, Glory to God in the highest. On earth there is peace among men with whom God is pleased. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful to You for what You have provided for us in the person of Your Son, we were sinners and hostility and enmity against you, and yet you, by your grace, even while we were your enemies, you loved us and sent your Son to die in our place. 
I thank you, Father, for such a righteous Savior, such a glorious Savior, and such a perfect salvation. Thank you that Christ has been born for us, a Savior, and that he is Lord. And those who are his gladly bow the knee before him. And I pray that the salvation that has been described here in this verse, peace with you, might be the part and portion of all who are here tonight, so that we may rightly and truthfully celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.